Are you even qualified for this job? What? Yes. Sure. Welcome back to Quaid in Full, the podcast with all the fucks to give about actor Dennis Quaid. I'm extremely expensive short story Sarah D. Bunting, and I'm here with old school serial mogul Jeb Lund. Hello, Jeb. Awesome. It is Ninja Assassin. <laughs> Before we get into uh, today's film, In Good Company from 2004, have we any pod business? This is also awesome, but no. Fantastic. Then I'm going to get into a plot summary, if I may. This will be probably significantly less awesome, but here we go. Sports magazine ad salesman Dan Foreman, Dennis Quaid, is going about his business mostly untroubled. I say mostly because during the credit sequence, this father of two teenage daughters finds a pregnancy test in the trash can in the kitchen. Sure, movie blunder ahead with this without having ever met any actual teenage girls when his company is restructured and he's demoted. His new boss, Carter, Topher Grace, is half his age, has exactly one marketing triumph to his credit in a completely different division, and ends up dating Dan's oldest daughter, Alex, Scarlett Johansson, who seems unaware that she's in How to Get Ahead in Corporate Satire Without Really Trying. This territorial encroachment leads, naturally, to conflict, but not before we have to sit through a series of static, social hygiene filmic scenes that repeat, more toothlessly in each iteration somehow, that capitalism is bad but capitalists are human? Or that institutions consist at root of people? Or something? This may have had more bite 18 years ago when it came out, but it's hard to see how when the movie unironically scores Carter's lonely I-have-met-the-downsizing-and-it-me walk through downtown Manhattan with Peter Gabriel's Salisbury Hill. (laughs) The movie also commits the cardinal sin of wasting Amy Aquino. It maxes out the budget, casting Mark Helgenberger as Dan's wife Anne, the actual pregnancy test taker, spoiler I guess, whose only other function besides that plotting gotcha is to smile beatifically near her husband as he's reminded of the importance of love and family, and to furnish exactly no realistic information about advanced maternal age pregnancy or the relative willingness of most voting adults to second mortgage a house so their kid can get a Bachelor of Fine Arts. It gives Dan and Anne a second daughter named Jana. Guys, there is no reason for this rhymy naming nonsense. Someone needs to be named Liz or Jessica in here whom the script and all the characters treat like a tenant anyway versus a card-carrying member of the family and who only seems to exist in order to ferry Dan in and out of scenes while also being a redhead. But in the end, everything works out. The company gets re-restructured, Dan and Carter's nemesis Clark Gregg gets shit-canned, David Paymer has a place to go and have awkward conversations by the elevator in the morning, and we all learn a very important lesson about not thinking work is life. Mm. Did I miss anything? Because there's just not that much plot here, in my opinion. You absolutely did not. This is basically a Hallmark movie for boys. Yeah. It has the exact same structures, the convenient deus ex machina. It has the same tension between, as you said, like capitalism is bad, but capitalists are good people. Mm -hmm. The same kind of like 
shoot the moon, thread the needle, whatever you shoot the gap, whatever you want to call it of, well, there's a way that we can still be a financial behemoth, but everybody here can be a whole and healthful person. And just sort of surrounding the, you know, our principal cast of two people, essentially with some nice caricatures of people um, that are, you know, effectively flat. And if you're not bringing uh, your goodwill for them with you, you're not going to generate a lot, but it's not, you know, it's not meant to be any deeper than that. Yeah. So if you enjoy it, great. And if you don't, that's also fine. Yeah. I saw this in the theater when it came out and I remember finding it pleasing, I guess, but I also remembered nothing else about it except thinking at the time that Mark Helgenberger was a real smart smarty for taking this between seasons of CSI role that obliged her character to spend 70% of her screen time in a bed. Like, that's how to do it. Good for you. Yeah. But <laughs> well done. I mean, I would get into contemporary reviews, but they were all uniformly positive, forgiving of how like non PH the so called satire was. Like, I just think that here in 2022, where succession exists and we're in a post Trump, post Bezos world, like, this is a very young for lack of a better word, take on this issue, if it's even an issue, and it's just excessively gentle. I think there was a more interesting movie in here that's like 33 and a third short films about Quaid and Grace doing a roadshow at CES, but that's not the movie that we get, so... Yeah, I'm not sure it's even so much a satire. Uh, I, what I remember of the sales pitch for the movie and the the reviews that i read and i didn't see it in the theater i think this was maybe right after netflix came out and i think i got it on disc oh yeah or maybe i rented it from you know vi when we had video stores i went to one and rented it and <laughs> i remember it there being a lot of like kind of cheerleading for topher grace like hey he's gonna make it right i know i personally had that invested i brought this up during the traffic episode anytime somebody is is as thin as i am <laughs> and it winds up in big budget films i'm and it is not like the twitchy weird guy right doesn't have like the sort of you know lucas haas kind of <laughs> i'm strange and i'm a functionally like an update on boo radley like right. i'm happy for him so there was that for me but i remember the tenor of the conversation around it was that it was much more like the whites were trying to get away from you know, meaningless sex and kind of slapstick and a little mean-spirited comedy and try to do something heartwarming and wholesome. And it was their reaction to seeing sort of the materialism and the, the um, you know, like vindictiveness and, and sort of like rhetorical retribution that defined a lot of the early Bush era. And they wanted to say like, well, there's a way to square these circles and to to find a bipartisan consensus where you can be pro people and also pro business and i the satire didn't seem to be a sales pitch and i didn't even detect i mean i knew that they were trying to be critical of some things but like it wasn't biting and funny and surprising it was very as you said gentle which is what led me to like man this is a boys hallmark movie <laughs> yeah well and that there are moments where you're supposed to recoil from the um reptilian ambition of a character of clark gregg like these these characters are all such like sketches also that i could not remember anyone's name i had to keep looking it up on the imdb and it's like dan ann jan pam uh guys really 
But uh, that would be undercut by like explaining that PFG stands for pretty freaking good. Mm, no, <laughs> not not in the boardroom. Like they're going to be using actual swears, but they wanted a PG-13, I guess. So that's not where they went with it. And I don't understand why that was a priority. And I don't think some people understood which movie they were in. Yeah. I don't know how, what your feelings about ScarJo are. I'm generally like pretty positively disposed towards her. Like, I don't need to sign off on her personal choices or anything, but like I don't mind her the way some people yeah. do. Yeah. I think she gets to be a little too willowy and almost kind of fey in some roles where it, it's almost like she has decided that the kind of, um, sexualized angelic picture of ScarJo in the internet and uh i guess like publication discourse is just the best way to play it and so she seems to show up as sort of like an avatar of what people seem to think she's supposed to look and behave like right. and then but when she's when it looks like she's consciously making choices with the material i think she does an outstanding job but this one definitely seemed like she kind of just smiled and let things happen to her yeah, I mean, she's on the outside of the Ven. She's like on one of the wings of the Ven, I guess, mm -hmm. in the like rom-com wing. And given that, she's doing fine. And also she's forced to do a lot of, not even exposition, but like after school special explaining of the choices that face today's college student. Um, here's <laughs> clip two, and here's one of the many places that the movie was frustrating for me, that it's like, if you're going to stop the momentum dead to explain about forks in the road for young adults, please have some concept of how things work. Clip two. It's pretty good. I mean, you know, it's... it's uh... It's hard to meet new people as a transfer. Everybody's got their own little cliques and they're not sure if they want to admit one more. But um, my creative writing classes are really great. Oh yeah, creative writing? Yeah, I've just, uh, I've always been interested in stories. And escaping into other people's lives. I guess because mine always seems so boring. I'm cursed with a functional family, but writing isn't exactly practical, so. I think I might double major in business. Oh, no, don't do that. You know who should do that? Not just this character, but whoever wrote this passage of the screenplay. <laughs> First of all, NYU, just undergrad, is bigger than the town that I'm from. By like right. a, a factor of two. Like, it's hard to get to know people as a transfer. Like, it's NYU. Uh, and also she's living in what looks like my brother's freshman year dorm with a roommate. Like, you will be able to meet people. Not to mention, you look like Scarlett Johansson. I don't think you're really going to have any problems. Yeah. But God, this dialogue. I've always been interested in stories. I'm so glad you pulled that. But I that. was cursed <laughs> to the functional family. Like, fuck off. I just, I just wanted to stab myself in the eye watching that scene. Yeah. I mean, apart from the fact that he has a lot of money and looks like Topher Grace, which works for some people. Mm -hmm. And uh, apart from the fact that she looks like ScarJo, I don't know why these two like each other. I mean, I, you can try to reason it with the his story uh, of being left by his uh, brittle and disengaged relatively new wife who also evidently cheated on him and he has an absentee dad but that at least 
helps to explain why he would glom on to uh, Quaid's Dan. Right. But, you know, he can go out with anybody. Why are you picking an NYU student who <laughs> says things like, I've always been interested in stories? Yeah. And I don't know how, like... I don't know how she is is captivated by this guy who basically undermined his whole role in the company when he first sees her. He says, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing and I'm scared to death, which you imagine she would talk to her dad about and uh, maybe that would change some dynamics there. But that little bit of honesty from him seems so premature. Well, that little bit, you know, maybe he blurts it out, but he almost from the get go is just sort of vomiting clues at everybody that he doesn't belong where he is and he needs help. And somebody who's just transferred into her dream program and is trying to figure it out, I can't imagine her going, you know, I'm going to drop everything to help out this guy who's basically fucked over my dad and just doesn't really scan. And, yeah. and so when the dialogue isn't popping you know, at all. And it's stuff like, I've always been interested in stories. You're like, why are you guys here? Yeah. What are you doing? Like, how did you get into NYU's writing program if this is the kind of shit that you say yeah. after you've had coffee? Like, we've seen you have coffee, and that's still what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, they didn't have a ton of chemistry. I did think that the Dennis Quaid as father figure to Topher Grace was... Given what was probably on the page, I thought that was nicely played by the actors and the movie. That scene at the end where Topher Grace is like, I'm going to go to the other coast and go for a run on the beach. And that will mean that I'm, I don't know, an authentic man. I, I'm not sure the movie knows what it's trying to say with that stuff, but they, they have that hug and Topher Grace is in tears. And I thought it was pretty well done for this movie which i think wanted to only be about that and should have just been about that relationship like i said before like don't dress it up with all this commentary on um the soulless nine to five grind and then they're doing a lot of work with this teddy k character played by malcolm mcdowell and i'll play a clip of the big speech which uh <laughs> dan ends up questioning in a not as networky as it thinks sequence. But this speech was just like, we are now like, we're all too old to respond to this speech. We've like too many years have gone by. Anyway, here's yeah, a clip. We've heard it way too many times. Already. Yeah, exactly. Synergy. What does it mean? Why does a business swim with it and sink without it? in this new ocean of megabytes streaming video and satellites. Every day, the world becomes more complex. And to survive in a complex world, we need complex bonds to interface with it. I mean, as a content creator in the 21st century, I have sat through that keynote, like, probably two dozen times while making the jerk off motion under the conference table like i just we've all we've all lived too much for that to land at this point yeah i really the the best part of that is that his name is teddy and he's giving a ted talk and they didn't know that no when they wrote this and filmed it <laughs> no. but you're like oh okay i mean yeah. i'll enjoy that on that level even if it wasn't intended because it absolutely is yeah and i mean his casting is a pointed nod to whatever it is they think they're sending up but again like it's a pg-13 movie so you're only gonna get it's not gonna really draw blood 
at the time, critics didn't seem to feel that that was true. But I just think that, you know, this movie's time came and went and now we're watching it again. Yeah. But yeah, I'm not angry at it. It's just it's past its sell by. That's all. Some nice performances, but overall, nobody needs to seek it out. I don't have a lot either. I do just have a couple of notes of things that happen, I think, to flow to my this is a boys Hallmark movie thesis. Starting out, there's a bit where you see Dan, Dennis Quaid, going in to close a sale for advertising for the magazine with a a longtime client. And he says he's going to leave a magazine here for him to read so he can the guy and he's going to send one every week so the guy can reconsider the fact that he's pulling back part of his ad buy. Mm -hmm. And he says, uh, there's a great article in here comparing current quarterbacks to Johnny Unitas. And it was just like, (laughs) yeah, I mean, like that might be a sidebar with some numbers. It's not going to be a full article, but it definitely felt like when Hallmark tries to understand sports. (laughs) And similarly, at the end, there's a scene where they're playing a pickup game and he's got to be the ringer for uh, his team in Carter's against Clark Gregg's uh, nefarious group of of capitalist predators. And he goes up for a dunk or a layup and he winds up wedging the ball between the, the rim and the backboard and then he falls to the ground. But in the fast break scene, like he clearly can't dribble without looking at the ball. Yeah. And that was just like a, you know, another, another nice touch of like, you know, you could have filmed it a lot of ways where you didn't see that, but the one sports thing you had, like this guy can't play this sport. Yeah. And I mean, having just been, as we record this marinating in college basketball for the last week and a half or two weeks, like, Ooh, yeah. Kind of wanted to send the Indiana cheerleaders out to unstick that ball. And then he sort of, sort of limps off, but then the, the splint is on the other arm. And then the movie forgot that Dennis Quaid is left-handed, but then two scenes later, he's signing the second mortgage paperwork with, you know, his left hand, because he's left-handed. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there were just a lot of little things that it could have done better, but I wasn't, I wasn't as aggravated as I might sound by it. So yeah. I'm going to give it a five. There were some nice things. I thought Topher Grace was good. He's another one who's underrated. Dennis Quaid was well cast here at least so five i was gonna go a little one point higher with a six i think mainly just because of uh this clip you're being groomed i'm being groomed yeah mark thank you and then a couple minutes later i'm being groomed i am being groomed do you have any idea what this means <laughs> just speaking of uh of things that have have not aged well like thanks no. to uh the internet like no. uh, QAnon has has come in and completely revolutionized the way i would appreciate that scene yeah Oof. <laughs> and they also do that t- now that you mention it they several times not just in that sequence do that thing where apparently everyone in a scene waited until the cameras were on them in bed together to have any conversation about major shit that's going on did he just get home put his keys in the tray go have a snack how's everything did you feed the fish Uh uh-huh and then once they're in bed he's like i'd be a group like guys (laughs) that's nighttime soap shit don't do that yeah. Like sometimes big things are things you'll you'll talk about even when the, the front door is open still. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Or you might even call home. Yeah. Uh, but overall, I mean, in keeping with the, you know, it's a Hallmark movie for boys. You know, it's pleasant. It's gentle. I don't mind the statement it makes. I don't mind. You know, we really only have two characters. Um, ScarJo is kind of a demi character. 
and their interplay is nice. I thought they acted well together. I'm a sucker for I got my dad to understand me stories because <laughs> I'm a boy. Uh huh. They did that sure. well. And uh, these things that we say are detractions from it. I mean, those are functions of age. It's not necessarily the movie's fault. And I don't think that they subtract so much that uh, it isn't overall a pleasant movie. But it's, you know, it's one of those movies that we used to make a lot more of where it's a pleasant movie. It's not really going to change your life or the world. And it's not going to have a groundbreaking performance, but it's going to be a story that's sort of familiar and sort of comforting and you'll walk out of it going, well, I, I had a nice time for an hour and 40 minutes. I had a nice time. I could have had a better time, but you yeah. know, in some, in some respects, it's not its fault. And the ones that it is, I mean, they're not crippling. Yeah. So. No, I agree. I mean, I'm going to stick on a five, but I will, I will add some appreciation for the fact that it was an hour and 40 minutes. It actually could have been shorter, but most movies that could have been shorter come in at an hour and 90 minutes and you're like you know this is not that important like at least in some ways it knew what it was trying to do i think if it had been allowed to have an r rating we'd be having a different conversation but it wasn't and we're not um so now let's turn the conversation to the quadosity this this is the part i'm interested in i'm like i have no idea where you're going to come from on this so i'm really curious I believe that I saw this in the theater with um, past guest Tara Ariano because I because I, you know, had a thing for Quaid and she's like, let's go see this. So this one was on me, which was fine at the time. And uh, he looks good. He looks his age. You see his ass. Not unhappy about it. Yes, I got it for the visual aids. Yes, it took like seven minutes to frame by frame it properly. Um, Gorp flashbacks. Anyone? Hooligans! Cutthroats! Rapists! There's some grinning. It is fairly dilfy. You know he fucks. He's allowed to just talk however he needs to talk and not have an accent of any kind. Like, I think they're supposed to be living probably in North Jersey or Westchester or something, and there's not Like, there's not a ton of sort of signifying of that. They just let it go. Thank God. Mm. And he's good. Yeah. One of the contemporary reviews, and there were a bunch, and I'll link to all of them in the show notes. I don't remember which one it was that said that he was stepping into this um, James Garner kind of, he's always kind of playing a variation on himself lane or like period of his career i thought that Mm -hmm. was an interesting comp i don't think i know enough about uh, old rockford to say but (laughs) i thought that was interesting but yeah like he does enough trademark things he doesn't do the capital a angry blocking but there is some elementary dilemming happening Mm -hmm. he's cast correctly there are some glasses that are not quite right but they're closer than usual and uh he's good I have a clip, Mm -hmm. actually, of his big sort of, I don't even know what to compare this to, but his like, you know, man of the people, or here's the comp, Tom Hanks in Big, being like, I don't get it about the robot building. This is basically what Dennis Quaid is doing in this scene. It's a pretty big ask for this particular guy, but he is absolutely correctly chosen to do it. And I'm not sure I understand how the way the world is changing is actually going to change how we do business. We're still selling a product, right? Which hopefully someone needs. We're human beings with other human beings for customers. So I don't see how this 
company is like its own country. I mean, just because we sell different kinds of things, that doesn't mean we should operate by our own laws, does it? Besides which countries, at least democratic ones, they have some obligation to their citizens, don't they? So how do layoffs and bottom line thinking fit into that? Okay, with the understanding that, first of all, I think he was trying very hard not to do that Remy McSwain hand on the kidneys blocking. Mm -hmm. So he looks a little awkward in the scene. Um, And, you know, as a citizen of the uh, (laughs) Republic of Bezos, this speech on the page is extraordinarily outdated and naive. Yes. But with all of that said, he does a good job kind of and i mean his last name is foreman like the script really wants him to be this naive representative of the the human heart beating at the center of a massive multinational conglomerate right which is not necessarily like if i describe it that way and you're like well who are you going to give that to dennis quaid fuck out of here but he (laughs) He does well. Like you, you buy it. You buy this person. You buy that he exists, and he he looks pretty good. There's a couple scenes where I'm like, "Son, you better get yourself some sunscreen because that's that's about yeah. to get bad." But <laughs> he's in the whole movie, and he is quady enough for what this movie needs him to be. So no one's going to mention this in the obit at all. But I'm still giving it an eight. Hey, that's where I was. Okay. Huh. Um, and I'm really glad that you played that clip too, because that to me was uh, a focus on when I was trying to get at his quaidity here. I mean, he does have the grin in it, but it's not the full spectrum grin. It's not the like almost Nicholson's Joker level of like right. extended YW grin, <laughs> but you do right. get the knowing smirk. You do get a sense of, of he fucks, right? Yep. But that scene where he's challenging McDowell's Murdoch felt like a really good use of that Schrodinger's scat yeah. <laughs> effect that, that Quaid yep. gets sometimes in, in these emotionally ambiguous tense moments and that kind of like not quite gurning expression that he has, but where, yeah. you know, his face just seems to be kind of like gnawing on its own features in uncertainty that really worked. So yeah. Yeah. In that moment, I really felt like they were using the things that can be a liability for Quaid, like the lack of uh, necessarily like certitude in the emotional choice that, you know, he seems to like kind of spending time in his uncertainty. And, uh, and so it really, I think amplified that moment. Cause if you had a guy coming out and going, no, you know, and like really Norma raying it. Right, right, right. It would undermine, you know, the, the sort of the journey for this character. And there's something about that kind of, um, you know, human Labrador quality of of Dennis Quay, where he's got his routine. He goes and he fetches this. He goes to, you know, he goes here, he comes back, and he's just doing it for the people he loves. Like that, the warmth of that aspect of Quaid, I think, really worked well with the character. Yeah, it's possible also that the body of his work up to this was just allowed to inform what we think of the character and the performance. Like we've said about other performances and other characters in past episodes that this is what would happen if that fratty jock Kai-Fi vice president were whatever, not necessarily credible job, like paleoclimatologist, LOL, (laughs) uh, that he's been cast as. 
The inversion of it here is that you would absolutely buy this guy who was in Everybody's All-American as the All-American as a, you know, aging, used to be slick, but now is a dinosaur salesman. But he doesn't he doesn't overplay that. You're it's just allowed to kind of bubble up naturally because maybe it's only for us having watched every single other thing he did <laughs> that if i can make a gorp reference good god so that's where that is but i would say if anyone else is on this journey with us first of all turn back and second of all that might inform this performance but i do think it's good i will also note AV Club's Nathan Rabin, in his review of this, seemed to come down on the side of constipated I see. in the dilemma hmm. versus Montezumad, which tends to be your assessment. <laughs> Loosed so. upon the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, now that there's been a diarrhea reference, anything else? <laughs> no, let's uh, let's just slide into home, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, you think I'd have seen that coming and not get fucking church giggles about it, but. Okay. (laughs) I am five. Okay. Next time on. God damn it. Next time on Quaid in Full, Flight of the Phoenix. In the meantime, synergize yourself with our show notes and follow the podcast on Twitter at Quaid in Full Pod. And you can get even more content at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Quaid in Full. Quaid in Full is hosted by Sarah D. Bunting and Jeb Lund and edited by Jeb Lund. Don't subscribe yet? Hey, don't knock the dinosaurs. Go sign up wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review Quaid in Full so other people can find it. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Uh, yeah, you can go, go ahead and close it. <laughs>